Welcome to the Case for Safety podcast. Our conversations with safety experts aim to share ideas and insights you can use to help your organization benefit from efforts to improve worker safety and health. I'm your host, Scott Fowler. Confined spaces are present in many work environments and present several hazards to those that enter or operate in them. The recently updated ANSI ASSP Z117.1 standard establishes safety requirements for entering, exiting, and working in confined spaces at normal atmospheric pressure. Joining me today are the two gentlemen who spearheaded the update of that standard, Terry Krug, chair of the Z117 committee, and Terry Ketchum, committee vice chair. Terry Krug is a certified safety professional and certified industrial hygienist. He is also owner of Exceptional Occupational Safety and Health Advisors. Terry Ketchum is a manager of health, safety, and environment at Covestro LLC. Terry and Terry, welcome to you both. Glad you could be here. Thank you. Glad to be here, Scott. All right, let's uh, let's get started. Really excited to be talking to you. Always excited when we have a, a new or updated standard to talk about. So. I touched on uh, the the overview of the uh, the standard there there at the top, but I thought to start out we could uh, kind of give a, a little more detail about the purpose and scope of Z one seventeen. So uh, Terry Krug, if you could uh, kind of kick us off there. Yes, uh, thank you very much, Scott. The purpose and scope of Z one seventeen, I'm going to take basically right out of the standard. The purpose of this standard is to establish minimum requirements and procedures for the safety and health of employees who work in and in connection with confined spaces. The scope of this standard is to provide minimum safety requirements to be followed while entering, exiting, and working in confined spaces at ambient atmospheric pressure. Now, ANSI's minimum safety requirements are not OSHA's minimum safety requirements. So we go well above and beyond in our document here, especially in this new revision, to ensure that the reader understands the complexity of confined spaces and how to protect the entry team members. So we go way above and beyond. And as you read through this standard, you'll come to that conclusion also that we have procedures and practices and explain the intricacies of instrument testing and so on and so forth to a greater degree. Okay, great. Yeah, that, that sets, a, sets a good foundation for the rest of the conversation. Now, when talking about, you know, th- this uh, edition of the standard in particular, I wonder, uh, Terry Ketchum, if you could kind of give us the details about the major changes and updates in this latest revision of the standard. Sure, Scott. Well, first and foremost, you look at the standard, and it's got a new look. Aside from the obvious changes we're going to chat about in a moment, but it has a, a, a brand new look. And what I mean by that is, historically, the... Um, And the previous versions had a two-column format, the first column being what we would call what the standard is and its requirements, the shows, if you will. And the second column, which would be on the the right, was designated more as the explanatory information intended to help clarify the standard. So moving along in today's technology and being able to be read a little bit more easily on the different devices we have, particularly if we're out in the field and we need to reference back, 
to Z117.1, uh, we've gone to a one column format. So two columns down to one. And then, so the standard, the standard, the shows, the requirements are, are, you know, front and center. And then the explanatory or the additional information is in notes that are italicized afterwards. So that's, that's a big change in a way, uh, makes it, the standard, in my opinion, a little bit more readable. A couple of the other changes we'll talk about is we've added and clarified a number of our definitions in section two to help the reader understand how the, you know, the terms that we use apply specifically towards industry, but more so the standard itself. And then you know, quite a few of the appendices got, got changed, A through E, if you will, got updated and revised to, uh, to complement the new changes in the standard. The next was section six, talks about the atmospheric testing. And there was a, a fair amount of information added in there but with a primary focus of providing or ensuring the reader has very detailed information on the test instrument, that it's functioning properly, how to use it. As uh, Mr. Krug mentioned earlier, ANSI uh, Z117.1 goes well beyond the minimum requirements by OSHA in general industry or in the uh, construction standard for providing additional information on atmospheric testing of the confined space talks a bit more about bump testing, remote sampling, sensor interferences, and poisons, which is later talked about in Appendix D. Section 10, we've, we've talked a, bit, a little bit about, but cleaning and decon has been expanded. We need to make sure when we're going into the area, we're, 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 we're uh, clothed in the right PPE, taking all the precautions. But more importantly, when we come back out of those areas, how do we make sure our equipment is decontaminated properly, including our clothes, that we're not taking anything home, wearing them in our, on our clothes into our cars and taking them home, which may not be a good thing. Section 15 talks about training that is required specifically on uh, rescue training. And there's a lot of information on, on rescue. And one of my, I'll mention here is uh, ensuring that you have a rescue crew available and properly trained and qualified to immediately extricate somebody should they be in a confined space. And the last section here is that we revised or significant changes was on section 17 dealing with contractors. And this section has been expanded to include more requirements for both the host and the contractor. And a lot of that information has been added to appendix E to essentially um, to ensure the contractor knows what's required by law. And again, making sure we're doing the right things based on the consensus standard. Okay, thank you, Terry. That gives us a good overview of what's uh, what's new and changed with this latest standard. So now I thought we could kind of dive into the why. So uh, Terry Kruger, maybe you could take us through, you know, why these changes and uh, updates were made in this latest edition of the standard. Well, thank you. And I think that's necessary for us to cover that. The previous Z117 standard came out in 2016. And when that came out, the OSHA standard barely was approved for construction, 1926 CFR 1201 through 1213. And that basically came out in August of 2015. So our standard 2016, when it was issued, did not have anything on the construction standard. So 
with that and also in 2016, NFPA 350 Guide for Safe Confined Space Entry and Work was published. And we needed to get both of those and look at them and make sure that our standard was complementary to them and did not indicate anything that would be problematic when you read the law, the construction standard, and you looked at this guideline, which is chock full of information from NFPA, and that's their NFPA 350. But Z117 committee had to ensure that we were up to date with these requirements, and that's one of the reasons we decided to change it. And when I contacted ASSP, they said, well, if you're going to make a change, you have to go to a one column instead of the two column that you've previously had with this standard over the years. And uh, Terry Ketchum already talked about that, that that's one of the, the big things in this standard that we have brought it into a one column standard. Also, practices performed by the committee members. We got input from the different committee members that we needed to make some changes in our standard because the older standard wasn't addressing some of the newer issues, uh, some ventilation equipment, some new test equipments and instruments. Rescue equipment has developed over the years and gotten better. And also the rescue standards put out uh, by NFPA and us have changed. So we needed to update the procedures that were published in previous editions. So that's basically why those changes were made and why we actually uh, did that and, and spent a number of years going back and forth and getting the committee's input and addressing those issues and making sure that our standard was what the public is going to benefit from. Absolutely. Something you touched on there is a good transition to my next question. You talk about practices performed by some of your committee members in confined spaces really informed what's in this new edition. And I touched on this at the very beginning, but Terry Ketchum, I wonder when we say the word confined space, I mentioned at the top, you know, confined spaces are found in a lot of different working environments. So I thought we'd kind of touch on what some of those spaces are, some common examples of confined spaces that workers may operate in and safety professionals, you know, have to assess the the risks and, you know, manage the risks related with those type of environments. Okay. Well, you know, if I step back for a second and ask the question, what is a confined space? And that may help us understand a little bit better some of the examples I'm going to provide in a moment. But a confined space is essentially an enclosed area large enough and configured to allow a person to bodily enter and then has the following characteristics. One, it's not, it's, it's, the space isn't really designed for human uh, occupancy. You're not going to live in this space, right? <laughs> it's, it's, it's somewhere you, maybe you have to go to do a task. Then two, has restricted entry and or exit. So restricted entry and exit is basically a physical 
uh, configuration, which requires the use of hands or support or contortion of the body to enter or exit from a confined space. So do I have to crawl in? Do I have to crawl out? You know, I've, I just can't walk in and walk out. <laughs> so things, typical things that, that uh, we see in industry that workers or contractors or folks may have to operate in are sewers, you know, manhole go down into a sewer, HVAC duct work. Oftentimes that's overlooked, you know, on roofs and places where the duct works uh, weave around and you've got to maybe crawl into and like a little bit of a maze where you've got to contort your body to get in and around. Tanks and grain bins is a big one. Water towers, uh, below ground rooms. You know, you've got to, you've got to maybe climb down into a ladder to get down into these areas. Certainly tunnels and pipes. And uh, also one comes to my mind is uh, telecommunication vaults. So essentially we're looking for, for things that um, you know, a lot of folks take for granted that could present the employees with some serious or significant hazards if they're not prepared and these spaces are not identified properly. Okay, now uh, with with that in mind, you know there's a, a lot of a lot of different you know a lot of different types of confined spaces, you know, each with their own hazards. So, what are the major safety considerations when entering and operating in these different spaces, and how can Z117 help safety professionals and others address those uh, considerations to help keep uh, keep workers safe? Uh, well, that's a good question, and I have this answer. In fact, we have this answer to this. Atmospheric hazards can be in there, and your senses cannot differentiate that there's even an atmospheric hazard if it doesn't have an irritating uh, smell to it, or it's not uh, causing your eyes to water or your throat to burn when you when you breathe it in. So atmospheric hazards like oxygen deficiency or enrichment, toxic gases like carbon monoxide or hydrogen sulfide. You could have chlorine gases. You could have carbon dioxide be in there. And carbon monoxide and carbon dioxide cannot be detected by the sense of smell. So you can have them in there and you won't even know it. So that's why you need to use the proper instruments before you go into a space so you can categorize those types of atmospheric hazards effectively and then put your controls in place. Uh, also, you'd like to know if you go into a space, if you're going to be engulfed by particulate matter, such as liquids or grain, sand or water. You'd like to know if something is going to come in and encapsulate you. So you have to look at adjacent spaces that you're in and see if any of those could be problematic if there was a rupture in a wall or if there was a gravitational uh, structural weakness that caused uh, something to fall down and engulf the person. So engulfment is a hazard, and you have to look and see if you're going to be exposed to that type of 
could be fatal issue. Falls from elevated surfaces, definitely you can think if you go up into a water tower, that if you fall when you're up in that water tower out the entry portal, you're probably going to die. So uh, falls from elevated surfaces can be uh, problematic and people would need to ensure that they are protected. Say you were to walk into a grain elevator and if you were not equipped with a full body harness and a lifeline connected, if that grain gave way and you fell into that grain bin, you could be engulfed by the grain and and die. So falls from elevated surfaces or falls from the work area that you're in is an issue that needs to be looked at. And you, you want to make sure that you're, you're covering the employees that are exposed to those hazards. Also, structural collapse or entrapment. Many times when you go into a sewer, you have to climb down a ladder that's a fixed ladder on the side of the opening. Uh, sometimes rust takes its toll on those rungs and they could give way or the ladder could collapse. Uh, all kinds of different uh, structural collapse or entrapment could occur. So a professional needs to make sure that they evaluate those hazards properly and get the, the proper uh, controls in place. The newly revised Z117 covers these concerns and hazards by explaining how to test the hazards in many of the sections and supplies examples and references that can be used by safety and health professionals to ensure that they have all their I's dotted and their T's crossed. So with that, I'll pass it back to you, Scott. No, th definitely. Yeah, that, that was great. So it's, and it seems like, I mean, a big piece of this is the, the advanced work, you know, doing your homework would you encourage safety professionals, you know, go out to that site long before the work's even going to be done so you know exactly what it is that you're dealing with, you know, whether it's a water tower or a sewer, maybe if you can't get in there yourself to get near it to, I mean, to do all the, all the preparation before the work even begins. Exactly. You really have to do your homework and find out uh, the history of that space. What has been in there before? What kind of hazards have they identified uh, prior to this? And what is that space used for? So you can't just go into a space and take your four gas meter and think you have it all under control because there's a lot of other hazards that also need to be looked at. So that's why we, we want people to be properly trained and we have a section 15 dealing with training the entry team members, the person that takes the samples with using the four gas instrument, the rescue team, we want them trained and we want them to be protected and ensure that they come home safely at the end of the day.
And, and if I could add to that, I think companies and employers should take an inventory, take stock of the confined spaces they have in their, in their work areas. First and foremost, do the inventory, identify those areas, mark them appropriately so people know <laughs> whether they're allowed to go in or whether they're not allowed to go in. But I think doing that assessment is critical because things do happen. And we don't like to think that, but the adverse things can happen. If we've done our homework, the HSE professionals looked at things and they've assessed things, they've got it pretty much under control. And then your, your other training and planning covers that. The other one I'd like to throw out just real quick on the hazards is electrical. You know, lockout, tagout, NCZ 244, and our standard points out looking at lockout, tagout. So it's, it's, it's not one size fits all, but, but what I'd like to throw out uh, and support uh, Mr. Krug's comments here is Z117.1 provides a structured approach to effectively assessing, managing confined spaces and providing the protection to our employees. But it's something you have to invest in to, to, uh, to provide uh, a safe and healthy workplace for those confined spaces, people going down into it. You just can't show up. Hey, we're going to go into a confined space today. You've got to plan. You've got to prepare and take the necessary action and practice. That's what the standard talks about in the, in the appendices, training your folks, getting the out there day in and day out. A couple, a couple things I just thought of uh, jumping off of the, the things you just said, Terry, just showing up to a, not going to just show up to a confined space. Something you and I have talked about in the past is permit required and non-permit required spaces. The main difference between a confined space and a permit space is a confined space meets the definition that we have in our standard. And if you look a little further, if you do not find any serious hazards that would cause or likely to cause serious physical harm or death, then basically it's just a confined space and you don't need a permit to go in there. And all of the other enforcement standards that are out there, OSHA's general industry standard and their construction standard do not have any procedures for entering into just confined spaces. It has to be a permit space. There has to be either existing serious hazards or the potential to have uh, serious hazards come into the space. And then they require a permit to be pulled and the permit has certain requirements that it has to meet to be legally acceptable. However, having said that, ANSI, our new Z117 standard, has a chapter four, section four in there, that says we want some safe working procedures to be developed by the employer for entering into non-permit spaces, into just confined spaces that are not permit spaces, we don't want you to just go in and out of there as you please. We want some 
safety procedures developed, and we call them uh, safe working procedures. And uh, uh, it can be as little as having a buddy system, uh, testing the atmosphere, telling the supervisor when they're going into that space so they don't open up something and allow it to enter into that space because they don't know you're in there. It can be something as simple as that, or it can be 10 items that they want the employees to follow. So it's up to the employer to develop these procedures, and we are the only standard that requires procedures to be developed and followed for entering into non-permit spaces. Something else, uh, Terry Ketchum, you you touched on was uh, the training uh, aspects in the in the appendices. I wonder if you could talk about that a little more. I know these appendices are, are such great tools, and if we kind of touch on you know how those appendices can help safety professionals with training people about working in confined spaces, and you know, and what else those appendices can offer. What well, there's a couple on um, in general training. What kind of training do you need? There's certainly a, with a confined space, you've got a lot of different roles that have to be played. The uh, entry supervisor, you know, the person that has to be there, the person who's responsible for making sure they're basically the, the life support for somebody going down. Yeah. There's other activities, the qualified person who may be doing the atmospheric testing that Mr. Krug mentioned and other activities. So it talks a lot about the training first of all, that's required per the different roles that have to happen. The other one I think that's important is the rescue that talks about what, what do you need for uh, rescue training? The, the people, the hands-on, the equipment, making sure everything's there, available, ready. And so I, I know we're, we're bouncing around a little bit, but I think the appendices provide a lot of the support information to help you build an effective confined space program, whether it's a confined space or a permit confined space, I think the standard provides a lot of that information. And if I could throw my two cents in from this perspective, I know we're talking a lot today on the podcast for what's changed in the standard. But if I can step back and saying a lot of things have changed, we've made a lot of great improvements to an already successful standard that was out there. So we're, we're making it better, but it's important to think, hey, there's a lot of other great information in the standard itself that provide the, the foundation or the linchpin for making these changes. So I would just ask folks and our uh, uh, listeners here to, to embrace the standard as a whole, yeah, inclusive of the changes that are made. But hey, it's, it's a great product, and it's something we all should look at, again, to to assess things because oftentimes confined spaces are overlooked. Hey, I just go down there. You're only going to be down there a few seconds. No problem. Just go get it. I'm going to rush in, rush out. And we all know what can happen from there. Is there anything either of you would like to, uh, to add about Z117 or confined space safety as we wrap up? I'd just like to say that if you're listening to this podcast, I think it would behoove you and your organization to invest in this document. It's not very much. It doesn't cost very much, but it could definitely save your life or save the life of one of the entry team members. 
because many times people are still dying in confined spaces and they're dying in confined spaces because they do not classify that particular area space or I guess enclosure as a permit space or as a space that could contain hazards. So, you know, this document is going to open up your eyes and open up your minds to the fact that we do have a hazard here that still continues to kill people. And we need people to get on board with trying to do something to protect those people, whether it's ventilation, uh, testing the atmosphere, uh, tying off, uh, buddy system, whatever it might be, do something that is going to protect those people that are going into these spaces. And if I would just add, I said the standard is well worth it, but it gives it it opens your eyes up if you've never had to use it to the things that 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 our profession is about. It's about providing a, a, a consensus standard that goes above and beyond the regulatory uh, requirements, but yet it's, it's the right thing to do. And so what I would ask people to embrace the standard and look at it and look at your work spaces at work with, with one thing in mind is, or just because we've done it that way, <laughs> doesn't make it right. And I think the standard presents the topics and the aspects well enough that anybody can take a look at that and stop and ask the question. So what I always tell my folks at work is you can't go back. So do the right things, stop and ask the questions. We've got a lot of great, uh, a lot of great teamwork led by our chair, Mr. Krug, that's developed the standard, but there's a lot of committee members and a consensus standard to help make the standard right and, and fair and applicable to, to our, uh, to our audience or our professionals. So a lot of sweat, blood, sweat, and tears have gone into this standard through the years. So get the standard, it, it'll, it will pay you dividends. Thank you. Yeah, very, very, very well said. Yes, I absolutely, I, de I definitely hope our, our listeners will, will take a look at Z117 as we've touched on today. These are spaces that are present in so many work environments and something that safety professionals need to be thinking about as to how to address those hazards and, and manage those risks. So, and uh, I want to thank you both again. I really appreciate you coming on and sharing your, your perspective about this standard and uh, how it can make these uh, spaces safer. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the case for safety podcast. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can also connect with us at ASSP.org and follow us on Twitter at ASSP safety. We'll see you next time.